see so many of you this morning. Uh, happy Easter. For those who uh, were not able to make it and you're listening online, we know you're there and we are, we are glad that you uh, are making use of technology just to, to allow God's Word to be sown in your heart. It's not the same as being here, that's for sure. Uh, thanks to our worship team musicians for just always uh, giving us the opportunity to celebrate God through music, so thank you for that. Uh, it's a unique day uh, because today is a, today is a day where... where um, Easter and April Fools fall on the same day. That doesn't happen all the time. So uh, last time was 1956. The next time is 2029. So Bobby, if you're planning your tricks, it's uh, you got a number of years to uh, to prepare for that. Uh, he invited me to help him move a freezer this morning, which was not there when I arrived. So, um, but that's that's pretty clever. But there was there was better there, there's better pranks than that. Here's one that my kids this morning actually they woke up with um, Beth had drawn. Um, mustaches on them in their sleep and eyebrows on them in their sleep. And so when they woke up the, the, this morning, I found them down in the, in the toy room. And they're all just like, we're not coming out till April Fool's Day is over, Dad. Like, we're not, we're not going to church. We're not going anywhere till April Fool's is over. And then I saw this prank that I saw last night. I so, so badly wanted to play on them. I just didn't have the heart to do it. But it's this one. You know, tell the kids to search for eggs you didn't hide. I thought that's a great, uh, what a great prank. Um, but today, uh, we want to talk about kind of both of those things I guess I, I want to start with this question. Have you ever been so excited about something that you just couldn't wait to tell someone else? It's like, man, this is just, you're so pumped. Maybe think back to when you were a kid. You know the first time you tied your own shoe? You know, that's pretty like, oh, it's super exciting. Um, well, this, uh, last, yesterday morning I was laying in bed and uh, uh, it was early. And all of a sudden I heard Maddox got up early and, and I heard him running down the hall. And, and then I heard this sound, this little clicking and clacking sound. He's got a Rubik's Cube, thanks to his Sunday school teacher, and so he plays with it constantly. And he's, he's doing this Rubik's Cube, and, and then uh, he's determined to solve it. He's six. Well, then uh, a little bit later, all of a sudden I hear footsteps running down the hall and into one of the bedrooms and excited whispering. Then footsteps down the hall into another bedroom, excited whispering. Then he runs into to our room, and he runs up to the side, and he's like, Dad, Dad. I'm like, what? He's like, I solved it with no help from you. And I was like... I'm like looking over. I'm like, yeah, that's my boy, right? I was like, he was super excited. I was like, man, I got to start calling my parents. Like, you know, it's 6 a.m., but hey, dad, guess what? Max solved a Rubik's Cube. No, not quite. But he was so excited to tell me. He just couldn't wait to tell his brothers and sisters he had solved that Rubik's Cube. And I think we've all had those moments. You know, maybe it was when you first tied your shoe, or maybe it was when you lost a tooth. You know, the first time you lost a tooth, you're like, oh, you got to tell somebody. Or maybe it was when you first got your license and you could tell somebody, you know, I drove all by myself. Or, or maybe it was the first time you had a baby. You know, it doesn't matter what time it is. I remember when Reese was born, one in the morning, I'm calling my parents. You know, we had a baby. Like, that's nice. Get, get oh, they were excited, right? And, and then, you know, you can call anytime. But I can tell you something, something I didn't hear this morning. When I was in the cafe, I didn't hear any adults saying, guess what, buddy? I tied my shoe this week, first time. I, I didn't hear that. I, I didn't hear anybody saying, hey, guess what? I lost another tooth. I'm one tooth closer to getting dentures, you know? I, I didn't hear that. I, I didn't hear anybody here saying, hey, guess what? I drove here all by myself. I parallel parked out there. Or, you know, hey, guess what? Me and my wife, we had a baby 18 years ago. High fives. <laughs> Why not? Those are pretty exciting things, except something's happened, and it's called, this, it's called time. Time has gone by, so what was super exciting, those things are exciting moments, but as time passes, they're, they're not all that exciting anymore. And my fear is that that's what can happen with Easter. That when you read these words, he is risen, that that should elicit incredible shouts of like, that's amazing. You man rose from the dead. But what I see often happen is, you know, like, you know, like we say, hey, he is risen. 
And the whole Easter crowd here, maybe it's the only time you come to church is Easter and Christmas, and you think we only have two stories. He was born, he died. He was born, he died. But, but, you're, but you're here, and you've heard the story so many times that you hear, he is risen, and you're like, yep, heard that last year. When do we get to ham and chocolates? Because time goes by, and time can, time can change our response to something but it doesn't, it doesn't change how incredible or how powerful it is. When you think of the incredible cost that was paid for, for each of us, the incredible love that God has for individuals, it, it might feel like a crowd this morning, but God loves you individually. He sent his son to die for you. That's, in, that's an incredibly powerful thought. And for some, you think, well, you know, you're still not all that impressed. All I would say to you is, you don't think it's impressive to die and rise from the dead. I would just challenge you to try it. Yeah, it's incredible. Or that someone would die for me. Incredible. You know, it's, um, it's the reason why the church exists. It's the reason why we're here today is because a man died and literally rose from the dead. And, and it's built on that fact. And maybe for you, like, I don't know if I believe that. Like, you're not going to say, hey, yeah, I'm at church this morning, but I don't believe it. Some of you are here just in case, right? Like, I don't believe that, but just in case. <laughs> I'm going to go a couple times a year just, just in case. But it is kind of hard to believe, right? Maybe, maybe you look at it, he's like, yeah, I, I can understand if somebody could be like brought back from the dead now. Like we've got medical things that can, can do that. But back then, 2,000 years ago, and, and it's kind of, you know, that, that a man could raise himself from the dead. It's, it's a little bit tricky to believe if you're not a Jesus follower. And maybe you are, you know, you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I, I sometimes have some doubts about that. I, I'm not sure. You know, I go to church because my parents bring me, but I, I don't know. Like, I, where's the proof? And maybe you're like, how do you know it wasn't just fake news that people back then have just been trying to, they're trying to get somebody elected and so they made up this incredible story or whatever. How do, how do we know? Where's the evidence? It was an interesting story that I want to share with you this morning. It, was, uh, uh, it just came out in the news a couple of weeks ago. There was a Romanian court uh, case that, that uh, uh, two weeks ago ruled that 63-year-old Constantin Riel, I think that's how you pronounce his name, Rilu, uh, they, they, um, the, the case... Uh, uh, was, was whether this man was dead or not, and they had ruled that, yes, he is dead, despite what would appear to be convincing evidence to the contrary. See, Constantine had left Romania in 1992. He was looking for work, and so he went to Turkey. Uh, he didn't correspond with his wife very often, and so the last time she heard from him was in 1999. Uh, and shortly after that, there was a number of earthquakes in Turkey, and so uh, she had wished to remarry, and she just said, well, I haven't heard from him in four years, so I'm assuming he died in one of those earthquakes, and so she went to the, to the courts and got a death certificate for Constantine so that she could get remarried. Well, Constantine had no idea about this and, uh, until he showed up back in Turkey, and he tried to cross the border, and like, um, you're dead. You died in 2003, so who are you? He's like, no, I'm not dead. And he said, so his court case was to try and overturn his death certificate. So he went to the, the court case, and um, Constantine, you know, had the, the, on the one side was all the people saying, no, here's all the paperwork, he's dead, he's dead. And Constantine's on the other side, and like, yeah, but I'm here. Like, I'm alive. And they said, no, too much time has passed. And so they've ruled that he is officially dead, even though he is alive. So, so Constantine says to the media, um, yeah, apparently too much time has passed. He can't even appeal it anymore. The ruling is final. And he says, I'm officially dead, although I'm alive. I have no income because I'm listed as dead I can't even get a job. And here's Constantine sitting in this place two weeks later, you know, still officially dead, but very much alive. It, my question for you is this. If you were in that courtroom, which side of the evidence are you going to believe? 
Would you believe the evidence there? The people are saying, no, sir, we have it on paperwork here. These people say his wife says he's dead. Or would you say, well, yeah, wait a second. No, he's, he's alive because I can see him. Which one would you weigh on? And I, I think you know where we're going with this this morning. But if you were in the courtroom, you would believe that Constantine, you would believe by seeing the man alive, it doesn't matter what anybody else says or what paperwork is there, you'd say he's, he's alive. Well, people in the first century had difficulty with this idea that a man raised from the dead because they hadn't seen it before and haven't seen it since. And uh, so there's a man named Paul who went around and told people that, about this incredible story of a man being raised from the dead. And many people believed, but then there would be some who had doubts. And so he wrote letters. He wrote letters to, to people in different places saying, hey, here's why I think you should believe. Here's, here's reasons. Here's evidence why you should put your trust in Jesus. And for some, maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, yeah, well, how do we know any of that stuff is true? How do we know anything in the Bible's true? Like, uh, who knows who this guy Paul was who wrote it? And you're not alone. There's a lot of skeptics who have trouble with when some of these documents were written. They don't know, are they, are they completely true or not? But they have one problem. This guy named Paul, Paul or Saul of Tarsus, they know and, and agree that, yes, Saul of Tarsus did exist. There's no doubt about that. That Saul of Tarsus also wrote exactly what you're about to read today. There's no doubt that he wrote this. And there's also no doubt that he wrote this. They know the time frame of when he wrote it. And it was only within 20 years of the time that Jesus had died that these letters were written. And so there's a number of these things that, that, that they find hard um, or impossible to, uh, to, to doubt because there's enough proof that these things are, are exactly as they are stated. So he, Paul writes a letter. The one we want to look at is the one written to a, a group of people in Corinth, which is a real place. It's modern-day Greece, real place. He wrote it around 50 AD. It's about 20 years after Jesus died. He wrote this to um, some Jesus followers there, and he, he said this. He knew that people were having trouble believing that a man could rise from the dead. He starts the letter with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. There wasn't chapters and verses, just easier for you to find, but you can check it in your Bible. It says this, the message of the cross is foolish, or it seems foolish to those who are headed for destruction. He starts his letter out this way, saying, you know what? Yeah, I understand. This might seem foolish to those who are headed to destruction, or if it seems foolish to you, you, you are headed for destruction. He says, I know it seems foolish, but let me give you a list of some evidence to consider. And I love that because that's been, that's been uh, uh, kept in, uh, for us for couple thousand years, translated to English so we could understand it ourselves. But he wrote to people who had never seen Jesus before and said, here's what I think you should believe. And so for those of you this morning who haven't seen Jesus, here's where Paul, here's where Paul and why Paul thinks you should believe. And here's why I think you should believe as well. First Corinthians 15 verse 1, he writes this, let me remind you now, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news that I preached to you before. So he had been there two years earlier. He had left and he's writing this letter back to them. He says, you welcome that good news then and you still stand firm in it. It's this good news that saves you if you continue to believe. He says, if you'll believe what I'm about to tell you, if you'll continue to believe it, it, it saves you. He says, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. He says, unless you guys think I lied to you two years ago, but, but you believed it then. And he says, you know what, I, I'm just reminding you of why you should believe it still. And for those of you who said, you know, yeah, I became a follower of Jesus, gave my heart to the Lord at camp, but then some prayers didn't get answered. You know, or, you know, then I went off to university and they brought all this science stuff and, and I'm not sure, I don't, I don't know. There's hope for you this morning in this as well. He said this, verse three, I passed on to you what was most important. 
He's going to give you the most important reasons why you should believe. And he says, this was also passed on to me. Number one, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He says, you've read this stuff that Jesus died. He says, There's, I just want you to remember the fact that Jesus died. And if I were to ask you, how tough is it to believe that a man 2,000 years ago died? It's not that difficult, right? Everybody died. 100% of men 2,000 years ago died. 10 out of 10 died today. 10 out of 10 died back then. It takes no faith, nothing to believe that, that uh, 2,000 years ago, everybody died. So yeah, Jesus died, but Paul says, I want to remind you the reason of why he died. He says he died for our sins. He says this story isn't just a story about a man. It's, it involves you. It's about our sins. It's about my sin. There's a reason why he died, and that when Jesus first came on the, uh, uh, to, the, to do ministry, he was in the Jordan River, and John the Baptist said, look, there's the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. That's why he came. There was no doubt about that, that he died. 1 Corinthians 15, he carries on in verse 4. It says he was buried. Part 2, he was buried. Not only did he die, but he was buried. And you're like, well, that doesn't seem like all that important. But it's an incredibly important point. See, because in, in our culture, when people die, we bury them. But in Roman, in Roman custom, if somebody was crucified... They didn't, they, because they were crucified, they weren't given the dignity of a decent death or a decent burial. When somebody died on a cross, they were usually a criminal. They usually were there for a reason. And so Romans would, would often just leave the bodies hanging on the cross just to rot. Let the birds eat them. Let people see. This is what happens if you go against Rome. And if they did take them down, they would just toss them in a dump. That was their custom and their culture. So when he says, hey, he died and he was buried means we can prove that not that he just his body just didn't get lost somewhere. It wasn't that this, you know, Jesus died on the cross and then disappeared and there's no there's no proof. There's no evidence. He says he says that uh, uh, um, you've read it in the scriptures. Mark, who was a, a friend of Peter's, we believe that what he, what he wrote was what, what Peter had uh, had shared with him, but he was also an eyewitness of Jesus. He wrote this in Mark chapter 15. He describes what happened that night that Jesus died. He says, now when evening had come after Jesus had passed away, because it was a preparation day, which is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea came along. It says he was a prominent council member, remember that, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage. He went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Mark writes, this guy, Joseph of Arimathea, prominent man. He's a prominent man of the council. So the people he's writing to, he's saying, hey, listen, you know this guy. I'm not making up, I'm just saying he was buried somewhere. Joseph of Arimathea. So go to Arimathea, find a guy named Joseph. He's a prominent member of the council. You just go ask him. He'll tell you, he can even show you his tomb. And it says he took courage because you know what? Back then they didn't grant the bodies to be buried. It must have taken incredible courage for, for him to go and say to Pilate, hey, can, can I have his body? It says he asked him, but more than likely there, there may have been money involved, that there was a bribe to say, hey, I'll pay you even. Let me take this body. Pilate, it says in verse 44, marveled that Jesus was already dead. So summoning the centurions, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. Verse 45, so when he found out from the centurion, Pilate granted that the body, or granted the body to Joseph. And Joseph then bought fine linen. I mean, he had some money. He bought fine linen. He took him down and he wrapped him in the linen and he laid him in a tomb, which had been hewn out of a rock. And he rolled a stone against the door of that tomb. And it says, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed where he was laid. There's people who saw this happen. And what's, what's interesting to note is that Joseph unwittingly saved Easter because there was no way that 2,000 years from now people could go and say, well, his body, Jesus' body just got tossed in a dump. That's what happened. It's, it's gone and it's lost. 
by placing him in a prominent man's tomb, there was no doubt that Jesus had died and that he was buried. Matthew, an eyewitness follower of Jesus, tells us what happens next. Matthew chapter 27 says, The next day, on the Sabbath, so the day after Jesus had died, the day after they put him in a tomb, the leading priests and Pharisees went to Pilate and they told him, Sir, we remember that that deceiver once said, well, he was still alive. After three days, I'll rise from the dead. So we're requesting that you seal the tomb until that third day. We don't want him getting out. He says, you know what? He says, this will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing the body and then telling everyone that he was raised from the dead because if that happens, we're going to be worse off than the first. And so Pilate replied, take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. So that day after Jesus dies in the tomb, the Pharisees all go there and they're like, they check, make sure there's a body still in the tomb. They look in the tomb, they seal it. They put the rock there. They seal it with the Roman seal. Then they get guards to stand guard and say, listen, stay here for three days because this guy, don't let the disciples steal the body. We can't have, that, we can't have it that there's no body in the tomb. Well, we know, that, uh, we know that something happened. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 4. He says, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. His third point is that he did rise from the dead. And there's some things that you think, well, how do we know? What's really, really interesting is at this point in time in history, whether you believe the story or not, there was an explosion of literature that happened at this moment in time. There was lots of writings back then, but all of a sudden there was this explosion this all kinds of writings about this, this man, this, this Jewish man named Jesus from Nazareth, this man who, who uh, did some incredible things, all of a sudden it's writing about it everywhere. Why? Why would anybody just go and write, ah, there was this carpenter, his name was Jesus, let's write some stories about him, let's just publish this everywhere. They, they, didn't, they didn't write this story simply because, you know, there was a man named Jesus who said some cool stuff and died. That's not why they wrote it. They didn't, they didn't, and in their writings, they didn't even write, hey, here's, you know, this man named Jesus, he died. Here's all of his teachings. Let's remember these so they don't get lost. Or he told great stories, like there was this shepherd who had some sheep and one got away, and so he went and found that one. That's not what they wrote. What they wrote about is the fact that they had seen somebody a man they had seen crucified now was raised from the dead, and they're like, that never happens. And they begin to tell everybody about a man raised from the dead. That's powerful, that they would write all this stuff. Why would they write it? Other thought is, why would the disciples make up a story? Can you imagine the disciples in that time saying, you know, hey, you know, yeah, well, you, you know, there was, you know, Jesus rose from the dead, and all of a sudden uh, all the Romans come and say, did he really rise from the dead? Yes, he rose from the dead. Okay, we're going to kill you for that. Well, okay, hold on one second. No, we made it up. Peter told us to say it. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't us. None of these guys, none of these guys ever changed their story. He rose from the dead. Paul says in 1 Corinthians um, 15, verse 5, he was seen by Peter. He was seen by Peter. Then he was seen by the 12. He's, Paul begins to give him a list of like, hey, <laughs> this is not one guy's story being made up. Go, go find Peter. Peter saw him. And then he was seen by the 12, which is kind of a nickname they gave to the disciples. The 12, Judas wasn't there, so now it was 11. And then they had another guy named Matthias. They had, so there was the 12. He says, those guys, they saw him. Go ask them. Verse 6, it says, after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at the same time. More than 500 people saw him alive. They didn't hear a story. They saw a risen Savior. It says in verse 7, then he was seen by James. James, who's the brother of Jesus. James, who was not a follower of Jesus while he was alive. You know, James, uh, again, uh, I think Andy Stanley says it this way. He says, you know, what would it take for your brother to convince you that he's the son of God? 
something pretty amazing, right? It's like, yeah, he's my brother. He thinks he's the son of God, and he died. Good grief. And then all of a sudden, three days later, he's risen. He's like, wait a second. He was. He is. He's the son of God. And James goes on to lead the church as a result. He's later seen by all the apostles. Paul mentions he was seen, he was seen, he was seen. Here's his points. He's saying, I think you should believe this because he died for our sins. He was buried in a tomb, no doubt. He rose from the dead. They, 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 we, there's no body in the tomb. And the fourth thought is, people saw him. They saw him, just like Constantine. They, they saw him. And then the last, um, well, the last thought is this. These eye, well, the eyewitnesses, you know, the people who saw Jesus, this list of people that he says, these same eyewitnesses were people who, when Jesus died, didn't believe that he was the Messiah anymore. They didn't, this, this is the part that is just mind-boggling. Here is all of his followers, Jesus, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best. He dies like, I guess he wasn't the best. I guess he wasn't the king. I guess he wasn't who he said he was. And they didn't go around trying to keep his memory alive. They all went into hiding because they were terrified that they were going to be killed next. They're like, what did he get us into? Why, why would he do this? And so they're terrified. They, they can't tell people about Jesus. Jesus said stuff like, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And they're like, yeah, but now he's dead. Jesus would say, hey, if anybody, if anybody wants to, come follow me. Well, how do we follow you now? He's like, I'm the resurrection, I'm the life. And like, he's dead. And so they have nothing left to do. And so they go into hiding. But then something happens, which is just remarkable. A few days later, they come out of hiding. Something happened to change their minds so drastically that not only they come out of hiding, they come out of hiding, they go to the people the same people who had Jesus crucified, they go to the same Pharisees and, and Sadducees, they go to the same Roman area, and they say to them, they said, listen, we have something we need to tell you. You killed him, but God raised him. We've seen him, now say your story. That's their message. You killed him, but God raised him. We've seen him, now say your story. And they, and they would boldly go tell them. They'd get whipped, put in prison, They'd say, you know what, we're going to keep telling the story. We would, if we're not talking about something we believe in, we're talking about someone we've seen. And there's no way you can change our mind. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8, Paul says this, Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. I also saw him. Paul says, you know what, he appeared to me. Paul never saw Jesus on the planet when, he, when Jesus was alive. Paul didn't, Paul didn't see Jesus um, when, when he was doing all of his miracles. Paul didn't see Jesus crucified on a cross. But he says, you know what he says? You know what? He appeared to me. I saw him. On a road to Damascus, it tells a story that Paul saw a great light. It doesn't even say that he saw Jesus, but a great light fell off his horse. He heard a voice and said, you know, why are you persecuting me, Paul? And Paul, as a result of it, is like, okay, that's God. That's, that's Jesus. He, something so impacted his life that it turned him completely around. And he says, that's why I'm writing this to you. He appeared to me. It's not just a story some guys told me. It's real for me. He would have said this. This isn't just a story that happened 20 years ago. It changed my life. This isn't just a story that happened 20 years ago. He changed my life. And I would like to add to that same thought with this. This isn't just a story that happened 2,000 years ago. He changed my life. See, that's where Paul, the power of Paul's message comes in is the fact that he changed his life. And I would say the same, the same thing, that when I was 15 years old, all up until that point, I was a good little boy. I went to church all the time. I heard all the stories. I could speed through, like, you know, they'd say this, the sword drill, where they'd say, hey, find Mark chapter 7. I'd be the fastest one to get there. I knew all the stories, but something was missing here. I had no 
I had such a low self-esteem that I wasn't loved. I, had, I didn't feel like any, any uh, whatever from anyone. I was picked on in school to the point where my parents took me out of school and said, you know what, we're just going to sort of protect you a little bit at home. I was terrified to speak to people. One-on-one, barely. This, never. You know what? Something happened to me that I realized that God loved me. Not somebody told me he did. Right down to the core of my being that, Mark, you're not a mistake. The things about you that you think are mistakes, they're not. You're unique for a reason. You're my masterpiece, and I love you incredibly. I didn't die for just the world. I died for you. You know, I sit there and think, God, I don't measure up. And he's like, good, you're right. You don't measure up. That's why I did this. So stop trying to earn my approval. Stop trying to earn my love. Stop trying to be such a good boy so you'll feel good inside. Just trust that what I did for you is enough. So you just breathe and let that amazing grace flood my life, realize that I'm loved, that I'm forgiven, that I'm free, not because of me, but because of him. It changed my life. The only reason I can stand here and speak to any of you today is because of him. He changed my life. You know, the resurrection isn't just a story to believe is true. Paul said in that first verse of 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross, it seems foolish to those who are perishing. But we who are being saved, we know it's the very power of God. It's the power of God to, to save, to change. The resurrection story of Jesus, it's not just a story. You know, it's not like I'm saying, hey, believe that Alexander the Great existed. Believe that Napoleon existed. Believe that Sir Isaac Newton existed. Believe that Jesus existed. It's, it's bigger than that. Because if it's true, the evidence points to the fact that it's true. But if it's true that that Jesus did die and Jesus did rise from the dead, then that means a whole lot more for us because that means he is who he says he is, that he is the son of God and that we are accountable to him, that with the message, that everything he said, that it is, it is true. And so this is my question for you today. Today is Easter and it's April Fool's. Which one are you celebrating? Which one are you celebrating? Because here, here's, here's the question. You might sit here today and think, you know, it's kind of foolish kind of foolish to believe this message. Sounds childish. Sounds foolish. Man died and rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, and that impacts my life. How? You might think I'm a fool for believing it. You might sit here and think, that guy's, that guy's foolish, you know, for believing that, that message. You know, it's blind faith. This morning, I know there's lots of things, questions that may not have been answered, but there's evidence this morning to say to the contrary that, that yeah, you can believe that this message is true. King David, I'm going to give you two quotes. King David said this, only the fool says in his heart, there's no God. Only the fool says in his heart, you know, there's no God. Nobody created this place. There's no Jesus. I'm not accountable to this story. This is just, this is just a story. So that, that, that's what the fool says in their heart. Jim Elliott said this, who's a missionary to the natives in the jungles of Ecuador, gave his life for it. He wrote this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool to believe this message and say, God, I, I give up my life of, of, of pleasing me, of living for me, to live for you, to gain eternity. He says he's no fool to give that up, to gain what he cannot lose. So my question is, which one are you celebrating? Easter, the message of the cross, or April Fool's? I guess my question is this, wouldn't it be more foolish to not believe when faced with the evidence? Wouldn't that be the, more, the thing that would be more foolish? Going back to that Romanian courtroom for a minute, would you believe, if I asked you this, would you believe like the Romanian court that Constantine is dead, or would you believe 
Constantine and any of the others who said, I see him alive. Which one would you believe? The court might think that Constantine is dead, but the evidence says that he's alive. Our culture, our schools, our, our philosophers may think that Jesus is dead, but the evidence says that he's alive. Which one do you believe this morning? The evidence says that he's alive, and if he is, then he is who he said he is, that he can do what he said he can do, that he is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world, my sin, your sin, that he's the one who can make you right with God, that he is the one who is the way. When you're saying, you know what, I, I don't know how I'm going to get to heaven. I don't know if there's a heaven or what. He says, I'm the way. Come to me. Don't not come to church, not come to religion, not come to rules. Come to me. I'm the way. He says, I'm the truth. When, when everything around you is like, I don't know what to believe. He says, you can believe. You can trust me. I am the truth and I'm the life. I'm the eternal life that you wonder about when you lay in your bed. Is there more to life than this? He says, I'm it. And, and yes, there is eternal life and you can have it. So my question is this. Have you believed in him? Have you put your trust in him? Have you received forgiveness for sin personally? Have you said, God, yeah, take, take my life, take the mess I've made, here it is. Have you experienced his incredible love in your life? That you would have a story that says, it's not just a story back then, he changed my life. Have you witnessed that life-changing power in your life? Because you can. He's asking you that this morning. And so this morning, I'm not telling you this stuff to try and make you believe something. It's not why I shared this evidence this morning. I simply want to give you an opportunity to believe because closing thought is this. Here's what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus said at a, uh, a funeral that went uh, drastically changed. Funeral for a man named Lazarus. He arrives at a place where this two sisters, Mary and Martha, have lost their brother Lazarus. And Jesus says to Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, you can believe in me. He says this, anyone who believes. Anyone means anyone. Anyone here today. No matter, what, no matter whether you've you know, sat in church your whole life or maybe it's your first time, anyone. Anyone means no matter if your past was really squeaky clean or if it's just a train wreck. Anyone. Say this, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Anyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And I believe he asked you the same question. Do you believe this? Put your name in there. Do you believe this, Chad? Do you believe this, Barry? Do you believe this, Paul? Do you believe it, Nettie? Do you believe it, Sue? Do you believe this? I'm not sure I can believe that. I can tell you one thing. Any person who can plan their own death and resurrection and pull it off, you can believe what they say. And this is what he says to you. You believe in him. You put your trust in him. Maybe you don't have all the answers. But you will experience life-changing power here and eternity as a result. That is on the table for you this morning. And I'd encourage you just to simply receive that. As we pray together, maybe you'll take that moment to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I, I need a Savior. Save me. It's as simple as that. Step one in the journey with him. Can we pray? Father, thank you for the truth of, the truth of your word, the truth of this event. Thank you that we serve a risen Savior. I'm not just praying out into the air today, but to your ears. Thank you, Jesus, for your incredible love for each person here. And, and God, I just pray this morning that for each person here who doesn't know you, that they would experience this morning your incredible love. God, I pray that lives would be changed today like you changed mine. Thank you, thank you, thank you for changing my life. God, we pray this morning as we go from this place that we would celebrate you, our risen Savior. 
that our world around us, the family that we see over this weekend, the people we see at work over the next few days, would have the opportunity to see the joy in our lives and realize it's you. God, I pray for those who are going through difficult things and have lots of questions. Holy Spirit, thank you that you don't just leave us on our own, but that you would keep leading them, leading them into truth, into who you are. Thank you for that. We love you. We celebrate you. It's in your amazing name we pray. Amen.